Welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from the Beehive about the latest and greatest in pop culture. This episode of the Hive Mind brought to you by the Utah Symphony. Hey, Eli. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. I love the Utah Symphony. So Who I'm doesn't love the Utah Symphony? I'm real excited about that. Um, many thanks to them for sponsoring this episode and next week's episode, which are going to be really fun. Special really episodes because we're preparing for a really wonderful concert experience. And we'll get to that. But first, Eli, tell me what you've been watching. No, you go oh, first. Sorry. First, we should say that Nick, unfortunately, is not here today. His wife just sliced her finger. So he is on his way to assist her in that. And we commend him for not and, showing up. And he's hopefully okay with us sharing all of his medical, personal medical information. Oh, he's my brother, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> all right, Meg, you go first today. You never go first. Okay. I have been watching Portlandia. Yes. The most recent season on Netflix, uh-huh. which is, it's still good. Yeah. It's pretty incredible that they've been able to produce good seasons for so long. I think this is like season eight. Yeah, it's been going on for a long. I think most people don't know that it's still happening. I found out like a year ago. I was like, oh, Portlandia is still, like they're still making new Portlandia. And I popped in or popped in. It's a VHS tape apparently at my house. I <laughs> pressed play on an episode. Waited 15 minutes for it to rewind. <laughs> Watch the thing spin around. So I'm right. By the way, I'm writing. Side note, tangent, quick. Yeah. uh, I'm writing a thing for the Beehive right now about an old movie. Stay tuned. Yeah. And uh, it this old movie is really really terrible. And I share in this writing that I'm doing this anecdote about a family that I knew who recorded this off of TV onto a VHS tape, but they wanted to skip this one part, so they hit pause during that recording. And as I was like writing this out. I initially wrote it in half a sentence, just like used all these words. Like they hit pause to avoid the whatever. And I was like, I wonder if I have to actually explain the mechanics of recording onto a VHS tape from TV because people 10 years younger than me may not know that. It's shocking what they don't know. If I put a VCR in front of you right now, do you think that you could just like navigate it without any? Yeah. It's like riding a bike. I, in high school, did a film project for The Hobbit Hmm. and to edit it, we had two VCRs and we're like cutting tape. That's amazing. Back and forth between the VCRs. Mm-hmm. It took so long. And I'm like, kids these days will never know the struggle. How did we get anything done back then? It took so long, but I think we were much happier. Yeah, <laughs> we were much happier. Much happier. Much happier. So what's your favorite Portlandia sketch? I love the feminist bookstore. Oh, yeah. Women. I also love the really competitive couple that are always wearing fleece. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's just a lot of like one offs. There's one that I think about all the time that still makes me laugh when I think about. It. I don't remember what season it is, but there's these this girl has a new boyfriend mm-hmm. and she's like, he works with his hands. Mm-hmm. He builds furniture with his hands. And like everyone she tells, all the women are like, <gasps> Oh, it's the dream. Uh-huh. A man who makes furniture. Uh-huh. And it's Fred Armisen. Uh-huh. And he's wearing like flannel, you know? <laughs> yeah. And he like doesn't say anything because those guys never say anything. Uh-huh. And you like watch him build a chair and it's like slow motion of him like shaving the wood and like putting on the varnish. And the finished product is like a very crooked chair. <laughs> I watched the Zac Efron, Ted Bundy movie. Oh, how was it? Not good. Really? He was great. Because he is great. He was great. Give him better roles. Everyone in it was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, John Malkovich is in it. Mm -hmm. It's just of all the parts of the Ted Bundy story to focus on, his relationship with a steady girlfriend 
is the least interesting. Oh, interesting. And it was, it's very problematic to present the story that way because it essentially ignores what he was actually doing for okay. most of the movie. And then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, and he killed 30 women. Oh, yeah. And it's more like kind of this fraught romance. It's like, that's not what the Ted Bundy story is right. about. So does it glorify him? Um, it makes you do empathize with him. Oh, yeah. Which, See, like, I don't need that. And then you watch the Ted Bundy tapes and like off the bat, it's like, oh, this was a monster. Yeah. No, if you read anything about what he was actually doing to the victims, it Awful. is it is atrocious. So I think that there should be a movie about Ted Bundy because I think that it's such an American story that a lot of people know. It's yeah. interesting. It's terrifying and heartbreaking. But he should not be the protagonist of that story. I know. And he was the protagonist. I, yeah. was, well, I, don't need, I like, guess a, his girlfriend was technically a protagonist, but it was more like, we're in love, no. but I'm conflicted. And it's like, no, no, sorry. That's not the story that should be told here. Yeah. So I don't think I can recommend it. All right. Did you watch the Veep finale? No, I haven't watched it yet. Wait, it was the finale last night? Yes. No. I know. How is it over already? I know. I know. It's good? It's really good. Really? How long is it? Is it 20 hours long, please? It was 40 minutes. Okay. I've struggled a little bit more with this season, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. This whole season, I have been feeling like I really miss the simplicity of the season one story, mm-hmm. because now they're dealing with these international scandals of like this kind of epic proportions and i kind of miss having a season one where they're spending an entire episode trying to figure out which ice cream she should order so that it'll look good in the press for her little veep appearance i agree but i think that it makes sense for the series as a whole to have developed as what it's developed into I have read some criticism that said that it's clear that they're trying to incorporate the stupidity of our current politics into this season with Jonah's run. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it would have been better to just pretend that that's not how Washington is functioning, even though it is. Yeah. Because we kind of don't want to think about it. Right. The finale really nails the landing. Okay. Okay. I'm excited about this. So I can't wait to talk to you about it next week. Okay. Final thing. There's a new podcast I've been listening to called Without Fail. It is a Gimlet okay. podcast, and it's actually the creator of Gimlet, who I think is Alex Goldblum. Yes. Yeah. He does an interview, speaking of Veep, with Anna Klumsky, who is Amy. Amy, right. Rockheimer okay. on Veep, and who was my girl when my girl was a big thing. What? Had you not put that together? Oh, my yeah. gosh. When, she, when I saw Veep for the first time, I was like, wait a second. Because she disappeared from public life for years. And the interview is about that, about why she went from being a huge star at 10, completely disappeared, and then came back on beat. Wow. It's really interesting. Did she talk about Macaulay Culkin? No, she just talks about how much it sucks to be a teenage girl in Hollywood. I bet. Like, she started gaining weight, and she got acne, and it was... The world is not kind. To teenage girls who are overweight with acne. No. So it's kind of heartbreaking. It's very much worth a listen. I listened to that, uh, the Titanic episode of I Hate It But I Love It, which is a podcast I am now obsessed with. Yeah. I've listened to the Titanic episode twice because it was so funny that I missed parts because I was laughing so hard. But they talk about in that that James Cameron on the set of Titanic apparently referred to Kate Winslet as Kate Weighs a lot Mm -hmm. and to her face as well. Yeah. That's insane. 
Yes. Can you imagine yes, being in a work environment insane. where a grown, powerful man is referring to the young woman that they're working with in that kind of manner? Like, I just cannot even imagine. It shouldn't be legal, honestly. No. If I heard somebody in my office refer to somebody else in my office that way, I would lose my mind over that. We can go on and on about how exhausting it can be to be a woman, but that's mm-hmm. not why we're here today. Well, all right. I'm all here right. today to talk to you about what you've been watching <laughs> and what collectively we've been watching. So uh, tell me, what have you been watching? Okay, what have I been watching? So this weekend, I did, in fact, go to a movie. Ooh. Uh, long shot. Yeah. How was it? I was waiting to be very bored. It's not my genre. Sure. So long shot is a Seth Rogen and uh, Charlize, Theron. Charlize Theron movie. I typically don't like Seth Rogen. He's a little too crass for me and yeah. just kind of obnoxious. And this movie is about Seth Rogen's character as a journalist, and he gets a job writing speeches for this woman who is the secretary of state, and she's going to run for president. And it's a rom-com, and it is really funny. Okay. It's pretty crass. I am apparently marrying my mother because as we walked out, Skylar said, hey, I would have liked it better if it wasn't for all the language, uh, <laughs> which, you know, whatever. Uh, but it, it was surprisingly a fun movie. Okay. So I would recommend it if you can handle kind of crass humor and bad language. Okay. Right. Awesome. Um, June from How Did This Get Made is in that movie. I love her and everything she's in. Who's that? I believe in the movie she's Shirley's Theron's like chief of staff, maybe. Oh, so she does that podcast. So yeah. that actress is also in Grace and Frankie, and she yeah. plays. And the... she's in Parks and Rec too. She's in who's she in she, Parks and Rec? When they combine with Eagleton, uh-huh. she's like huh. April's counterpart. In <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. no, that's she's fun. great. Yeah, she is really good, and all of the surrounding cast in this film are great, and. My girl Lisa Kudrow's in it. <gasps> she doesn't have a huge part, which is a crime. Lisa Kudrow should be the leading person in every movie and TV show. Do you know what looks good? Hmm. Is book smart. What's that? With the best friend from Lady Bird, who is also oh, yeah. Jonah Hill's sister. And she's what? friends with this girl. And I think the girl's mom is Lisa Kudrow in it. And it's just like a wild night. Like they've been good their whole high school careers. And they're mm-hmm. like, we're tired of being good. We're going to go crazy. Yeah. It looks funny anyway. But Lisa Kudrow's in it. And I'm going to see it because Lisa Kudrow is yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Did we? I can't remember if we talked about this on this podcast. But a few months ago, I tweeted out to you and Nick my ranking of the Friends actors yeah. in terms of best career to worst career. Yeah. I don't even think it's a close competition. I think she has put out the best. I'm not saying the most famous to the least famous. I'm sure, saying just the best work. quality of content yeah. that they've put out. Lisa Kudrow far and away has Absolutely. put out the best, the best content. And then there are like pretty big gaps between all of them. But I think the men have done much worse than the women from that show. Oh, absolutely. And like how grateful must Lisa Kudrow be to not be Jennifer Aniston? You know? Oh, yeah. Because Jennifer Aniston... Bless her heart is on every tabloid, yeah. and like Lisa Kudrow can just do fun stuff, just doing her work that she's and be good weird. At. That's why you should always take the weird role. Yeah, <laughs> but then you get typecast much more easily. Who cares? So Matthew Perry is a recurring character in The Good Fight, and he was on The Good Wife. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy how old he looks. Yeah. Right. I was watching it the other day, and I was just like, "How these people?" We've talked about this before, I know, but. 
these people feel like they're supposed to be my peers. Mm-hmm. I know they're 20 years older than me, but I always think of them as like, yeah, they're around my age. Cool older kids. Yeah, but he looks like a grandpa in I this. I know. It's rough. It's so strange. Life ends. Anyway, a week ago, my niece came over and I found out that she had never seen or heard of music and lyrics starring my oh girl, my Drew Barrymore. Gosh. That is a great film. It is great. I forced her into a sitting position. I was like, we are watching this. I think the movie's underrated because I feel like it never really gets talked about. You know what? I have actually been listening to a number of podcasts where it's come up as it didn't get the credit it was due at the time. But looking back, it is a really great movie. It's not cheesy. It's got a fun storyline. The music is fantastic Mm -hmm. in it. So there's a character in that movie that's supposed to be like a parody of, at the time, Britney Spears kind of pop sexualized young woman singing all these songs. And she has three songs in the movie that I actually listen to with some regularity because they're supposed to be like these parody songs, but they're like good jams, actually. So I recommend everybody go back and revisit that. Where did you watch it? I found it on, I think it was Amazon. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I found it on Amazon. And that's kind of it for me. Okay, great. So... As we mentioned at the top of the show, as they say in the biz, oh. <laughs> uh, this episode is brought to us by Utah Symphony because Utah Symphony has an exciting concert opportunity coming up June 21st, 20th and 21st. They will be performing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Yes. Which means that the audience members are watching the movie as the orchestra plays the soundtrack. Yep. It is a lot of fun. You and I both went, they did this for the third film. Yes. And I was a little bit nervous about going because I don't love most of the Harry Potter movies, even though I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to sit through a whole movie, but I really like the orchestra a lot. It was one of the most fun concerts I've ever been to. It's a lot of fun. It's crazy how much just having like that entire orchestra playing this loud music in front of you as this thing's happening and the audience is like really into it and yeah. cheering. It is a really fun concert experience. And it's so for me it was an opportunity to take Ivy to the symphony without boring her to death because yeah. there's no way Ivy's going to sit through 12 movements of Beethoven. Yeah. But she can be introduced to what a symphony is and what its function is. Yeah. And she can start recognizing music in everything she hears. Yeah. I really appreciated the opportunity to take her. She loved it. I loved it. We were at a Bravanel Hall. We wore skirts. It was like a fun That's amazing. outing. Yeah. So I'm, And they served butterbeer. They served we got butterbeer. Yeah. It was delicious. I'm really excited to go again. We are going to spend two weeks talking about Harry Potter in preparation for this concert. Yes. Oh, before we go on, though, Uh you can get tickets at utahsymphony.org, and then you can navigate from there to get the Harry Potter tickets. Cannot recommend this concert enough. Not saying that because we're sponsored. They're sponsoring this episode. It is legit a great time. No, before they started throwing billions of dollars at us. We are so rich. (laughs) For the last many months, I have been telling people... I hear they're doing the fourth movie this spring. Look for tickets because it was one of the coolest concert experiences I've ever had. I believe this is the first time they're doing it in the spring. They've just been doing it at Christmas time, but they're doing it twice a year now. So this is fun and exciting. And I hope people know about it because Mm -hmm. it really is fun. Today, we're going to talk about our favorite Harry Potter books. Yes. Next week, we're going to talk favorite Harry Potter movies, which I feel like for me are two very different things, Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. Uh. Tell me, which of the Harry Potter books is your favorite? Okay, well, I'll premise this by saying, obviously, 
I'm a Harry Potter fan, yeah. Harry Potter for life. And so is Nick. All three of us are big Harry Potter fans. Yeah. And so I don't think that any, I, I don't dislike any of the books. That said, the evolution of the writing and the storytelling from book one to book seven is, I think, pretty drastic. Yeah. She keeps a, a good, similar, consistent tone, but the complexity of the storytelling really changes throughout the series. Absolutely. And for that reason, as an adult, I can say that to me, every single book is better than the one that preceded it. Truly, my favorite books go if I ordered them from seven down to one. Yeah. And I think that the last, well, the last three or four chapter stretch in the seventh book is actually the most phenomenal part of the entire series, starting with the Prince's Tale, the Forbidden Forest, and the King's Cross sequence where he talks with Dumbledore and King's Cross, I think is just beautiful writing, incredible storytelling. And I love the way it all got wrapped up. And I, I think sometimes the last book gets a little bit of a bad rap. And I think that happens with a lot of things because people's expectations get built up so much when they're consuming a piece of media or literature that they yeah. really love that once it ends, if it doesn't move them to tears in the way they were expecting, then they are kind of harsh critics of it. Yeah. I don't know. That wasn't my experience. I got to the end and just like really enjoyed how well the story was wrapped up and how much it brought so many things together. What's your favorite? My favorite book is the fourth book, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Mm -hmm. For me, a lot of the appeal of Harry Potter was in the little details, in learning what Hogwarts is and learning all the different parts of what make Hogwarts Hogwarts, like the food that rises up onto the table and the great hall that has the night sky, Mm -hmm. all these magical small things that she's inserted to make the world feel whole. And there's a lot of that in the fourth book. And there's also a broadening of the understanding of the wizarding world because you're learning about the international wizarding community, which makes it a bigger story. Yeah. Because it starts with the Quidditch tournament, the international Quidditch tournament, and you're meeting all kinds of wizards from all kinds of places. And then, of course, the two other schools are brought in for the Triwizard Tournament. So you're meeting different kinds of kids who also have magical powers. It's a lot of fun characters. It's a lot of developing relationships. And at the same time, it's where the series really pivots into darker territory. Absolutely. And it's not just at the end. It's strong throughout the book. In the beginning of the book, there's the attack by the Death Eaters Mm -hmm. on the Muggles. Mm -hmm. So that's happening at the International Quidditch Tournament. And then throughout the book, there are these weird instances happening that are pretty dark. Yeah. And at the end of the book, the first character who we know and love actually dies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when J.K. Rowling signaled to readers, like, this is a story you're taking seriously. Mm -hmm. This is a story that has a bigger impact than being about a magical school. Mm -hmm. And I think she really executed that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that the entire series really is like a coming of age story. But the fourth book within that is like the coming of age book where you go from being children to adulthood. Yeah. And I think the fourth book is sort of like the adolescence period of the overall story arc because books five, six, and seven are almost unrecognizable in tone from books one, two, and three. Absolutely. And and I I really like that. And I think I read these books as a teenager. And so 
I sort of went through the similar kind of arc at mm-hmm. the same time these books did. Yeah. Like I was becoming an adult when the latter books were being released. And I don't know if people who were adults when the first one was released, you know, what their experience was if they just got progressively more interested in it as it went because the books kind of grew up. You probably were kind of the same position as me. How old were you when you started reading them? I was 13 when I read the first book. Yeah. Okay. So by the time you finished the last one, you're in your 20s, right? I was 23. Yeah. What was that experience like for you then reading these as a teenager? Yeah. Like you said, I was growing up with the books Mm -hmm. and taking on harder, I don't want to say darker, but a little bit. Mm -hmm. Life gets a little darker as you get older Mm -hmm. and a little more serious and a little more, these are real issues and things and I need to be a grown up. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of look to Harry and Hermione and Ron to see how to navigate some of this stuff. So in a way, they were role models. Yeah. There's that whole famous speech that Sirius Black gives to Harry, I think, in the fifth book at one point, where Harry's really upset about some person. And Sirius Black, in this having this conversation with him, delivers like this harsh truth where he says something like, the world isn't divided up between good people and Death Eaters. There's not just the good and the evil. Yeah. It's just so many shades of gray. And part of growing up is learning that every single person is nuanced. And there are things that we do that are just crappy. And there are things that we do that are just wonderful. And then in between, there are just all kinds of nuance and the actions and the things that govern our lives. And I think that this story does a really, really good job at making you learn that lesson with the characters as they're learning it throughout. And probably the biggest reason why the early books are so much more simple than the latter books is you're viewing the stories that the kids are going through through the eyes of like an 11-year-old, and there truly is just sort of this good and evil battle. We know that there's this very awful villain, Lord Voldemort, and he's like just pure evil. And we know that Dumbledore is just pure good. Mm -hmm. And they're just trying to help Dumbledore do his thing so that this pure evil can be kept at bay. But as they go book after book and they meet new people and learn a little bit more about what their wizarding world looks like, those lines get more and more blurred until you get to the end and you start finding out that actually this Dumbledore character was not perfect and he had a lot of issues. And this Voldemort character, actually, you can kind of empathize with a lot of the really awful things that he went through in his life. And it doesn't make him good and it doesn't make Dumbledore bad. But like ultimately, what we decide to do in the end, what we decide to put our energy and passions toward is what really matters. Yeah, I just think that that is such an amazing story to be pushing on everyone, but especially teenage kids who are trying to figure out who they are. Their, yeah, who they are and their, their way in the world and who they can trust and who they should be friends with and how they should govern whatever decisions they're trying to make. I could talk all day about the amount of good that I think this story has probably done for the people in our country, certainly, as you know, you can kind of draw parallels between this story and what we see happening on the news every day and the inspiration that I think a lot of people have gathered from these characters and fighting against whatever their concept of evil is. I also think the books are important outside of the story. I have a friend who was a teacher, and she for a long time resisted Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. She just didn't think it was something worth picking up and reading. But she said she was visiting some city, I believe it was Chicago, and she looked around and there were kids sitting on stoops reading Harry Potter, which is not something you see a lot. You don't see kids sitting on stoops reading. And she's like, this book is getting kids to read. Yeah, And that's an incredible phenomenon to have a book that kids 
are anticipating the release of. Mm -hmm. They're waiting in line to get this book. I hope that we continue to see phenomenons like that. I hope that for my kids, there's something akin to Harry Potter that is, I love this book so much. I cannot wait to spend the next 24 hours Mm -hmm. coming out for food in the bathroom once, maybe, Mm -hmm. devouring this book. Mm Because I think that that is such an important relationship to develop, a relationship with reading and with stories and with characters that I think you can only get through books. So you told me that when you went to the third movie, the, mm-hmm. the symphony performance, you brought your kids and that one of the things that was like very fun for you is because is that Hermione, especially in the third movie, has is kind of like a kick ass character. Yeah. She is in every book, but she has like some real girl power moments in that film. And I think it's the first of the books and movies where she really is sort of this powerhouse character as opposed to sort of the sidekick with yeah, the brains. Absolutely. So that's got to be, as somebody who's raising girls, that's got to be like a really nice thing to see and to kind of push them toward. What What is that like for you? I mean, I, we talked about Endgame last week and how there's this moment where it's this group of women who are phenomenal, who are going to defeat the bad guy. And what that means Mm-hmm. When I feel like the world often says to girls, oh, you're pretty, you know, or, oh, you're cute. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is rampant as it used to be, but I do feel like girls are undervalued. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. I've I've seen it a lot in the workplace, in my field, and there's a problem. Girls need to feel more valued and more appreciated. And Hermione's role in Harry Potter is something that I can look to as an example for what I want my children to be because she's she's the best because she's smart. Mm-hmm. She is 100% the brains of the Harry, Ron, Hermione mm-hmm. relationship. And a lot of times it's her brain that saves the day. Mm-hmm. Um, when I feel like often in these stories, it's like the strongest fighter or the best wizard or whatever, but Hermione is just resourceful and dedicated and a loyal friend. I can't think of three better qualities to instill in daughters. Totally. I remember finishing the last book and thinking, oh, so Hermione was the hero the whole time. Yeah. And not that like that was a big surprise because I really liked her character a lot, but she really comes to life in the last book and basically is like the general of the Great War. I mean, she really does everything that they do is kind of her idea. Yeah. It's her execution. There's nothing that Harry does that Hermione doesn't do or wasn't willing to do. Even when he goes to walk into the forest, she says, I'll go with you. She's totally willing to sacrifice herself. It just, there was no point. Her sacrifice would have meant nothing, so she didn't need to do it. But I honestly, at the end of the series, was a lot more inspired by her than I think any other character in the book. Yeah. Because she's just pure goodness. Yeah. But not... Sometimes I think we hear pure goodness and we're like, sweet. No, no, no. I wouldn't describe Hermione as sweet. She's just, her motivations are 100% She's in the right pure place. pure intentioned. Yeah. She seeks power at no point. She doesn't have a lot of, Harry Potter is a really great character, but she doesn't have a lot of his flaws. He can be very temperamental. Yeah. He can be kind of a loner in, a, I think, a negative way. And she doesn't have those kind of characteristics. She just truly is always focused on what the greater good is and what she can do to make the greater good happen. I just love that character. I know that author intention doesn't actually matter to the execution of a story. But just out of curiosity, do you think that J.K. Rowling saw herself in Hermione? 
I have seen her write about this topic a little bit, and I've seen her in interviews where she says that she tried to write Hermione as a character with the qualities that she wishes she had herself. Sure. And I think maybe that's possibly just sort of a humble way of saying I tried to write myself into this character. But I certainly think that at least in writing Hermione, she was doing so very intentionally with this kind of, I think that this is the kind of person that we should try and strive to be like. But you can probably see that in a lot of the characters that she writes in the story. Are there any of the characters that you would not mind if they had been written out or had not been in it in the first place? I like main kind of main or prominent characters. I can't think of any. You? There are characters that bugged me, but I feel like if you took them away, you take away from the story. Like who? All of Malfoy's gang. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't take away the antagonist (laughs) in the story. (laughs) No, I just think she did such a good job. She did a great job. Picking her characters. She did a great job creating a story that children and adults love, Mm -hmm. will continue to love. Yeah. Can't wait to see this movie in concert. Same. Next week, we're going to be talking about our favorite film. Like I said, for me, those are two wildly different things. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned for that. Remember, if you want to go see this Harry Potter in concert series, go to utahsymphony.org. Find the Harry Potter tickets. It's June 20th, 21st, and 22nd, 7 p.m. I'm really looking forward to this. So I would recommend, I believe that the last shows sold out. Okay. If you are interested in this, I would recommend getting on and trying to get tickets and at least making sure you get the seats that you want sooner rather than later. Yeah, they run out quick. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. And stay tuned for next week when we talk about our favorite Harry Potter movies. Woo!